0: A restaurant with no menu, a graveyard from a famous book, and a waffle that is simultaneously Belgian and not Belgian. This week, we're in Savannah, Georgia. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Each week, we visit a different city and explore its culture through food, drink, and the best things to do. Savannah, Georgia, is one of the most historical cities in the United States, with an interesting place during the Revolution, the Civil War, and Prohibition. Savannah also has a vibrant African-American community, with a famous church that was a stop on the Underground Railroad. All this history intertwines with a food culture that includes amazing soul and comfort food, upscale southern food, and even great vegetarian fare, which is making me hungry. So let's eat. What do eat? Hey, you gonna finish that? On destination. Eat drink. There's more about Savannah at my website, DestinationEatDrink.com. Go there for more great dishes, beverages, and things to do in Savannah. Savannah is in the heart of the South, and authentic home cooking and soul food can be found all over the city. Sisters and sweet potatoes are two good options with lots of catfish, fried chicken, and collards on the menu. I like the fact that Sweet Potatoes offers vegan collards, which is something of a rarity in Southern cuisine. And they label everything on the menu that's vegan, gluten-free, dairy, or cooked with chicken stock. It's nice to see that effort being made, especially the chicken stock, because lots of places will tell you something's vegetarian when, in actuality, it's been cooked in or contains animal stock. So tip of the hat to you folks at Sweet Potatoes. If there's one place to go for a real down-home experience, Mrs. Wilkes Dining Room is the place. No reservations, cash only, and community tables seating 10 people means a level playing field for everyone. The hedge fund manager and retail clerk all have to wait in the same lines for Mrs. Wilkes to open at 11 a.m. You'll sit at community tables with strangers and share giant platters of food as they're passed around. And there's no menu. Whatever they're making that day, that's what gets served. But you can expect southern specialties like fried chicken, meatloaf, cornbread, black-eyed peas, and okra gumbo. 25 bucks per person, lunch only, Monday through Friday. A real Savannah experience, including the part where you stand in line for at least an hour and a half making sure that you get a seat. You show up when Mrs. Wilkes opens and you're not going to get fed. For something more upscale, Elizabeth on 37th has been doing it since 1981 and got their start with handwritten recipes found at the Georgia Historical Society. The dishes are fresh and seasonal and always good. Meanwhile, the gray is in a restored 1938 Art Deco Greyhound bus station. Their menu's interesting, and they have a less expensive diner bar if you're on a budget. Lots of places have warm olives on the menu, but the gray has smoked olives. Holy cow, they are good. So-called Belgian waffles are incredibly popular in the US, but they've really only been stateside for a little over 50 years. Brussels waffles, as they were originally called, were first introduced at the 1962 Century 21 Exposition in Seattle and gained popularity nationwide at the 1964 New York World's Fair. They were originally called Brussels waffles, but the name was changed to Belgian waffles to avoid confusing Americans who probably didn't know the European city of Brussels. Now, the liege waffle is actually much more popular in Belgium than the Brussels waffle. It's thick like a Belgian waffle, but the liege waffle is chewier, kind of like a brioche, and often uses yeast as a leavening agent. Most waffles use baking powder. The biggest difference, though, is the sugar. The liege waffle uses pearl sugar. This gives the waffle its distinctive crunchiness and sweetness. You see, the sugar, it doesn't dissolve in the batter. So when you take a bite of the liege waffle, you get the chewiness of the dough with the little crunchy bits of pearl sugar mixed in, which makes for a delicious contrast. Savannah certainly isn't known for its Belgian immigrants or even its Belgian cuisine, but makes a fine liege waffle and in addition to traditional liege waffles they also offer unusual flavors like the bananas foster liege waffle mirabelle's also has a chocolate library which has a great selection of artisan chocolate makers from all around the world it wouldn't be a belgian place without chocolate right It's Sunday morning, and Karen and I walk to Fox and Fig in Savannah. All the restaurants in Savannah are crowded on Sundays. Tourists, families, churchgoers, hungover late-nighters, they're all looking to get some sustenance. We put our name on the list and sit outside with the others who are waiting, but the wait's 30 minutes, so we decide to go in and place our order at the counter. We take our name off the list, and take our takeout to Troop Square, which is right across the street. Troop Square is one of the 22 squares in Savannah, and its claim to fame is a plaque honoring the composer of the holiday standard Jingle Bells, James Pierpoint, wrote One Horse Open Slay, that's what it was originally called, back in 1857, while he was the organist and musical conductor at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Savannah, which is right across the street from Troop Square, which is why the plaque is sitting there. The Unitarian Church was closed in 1859 because Unitarians were abolitionist which wasn't exactly popular in the South at the time. James's brother, the Reverend John Jr., skedaddled out of Savannah, returned to the North, but surprisingly, James himself, he joined the treasonous Confederate Army. Many of the squares in Savannah have fountains, and Troop Square's Myers Fountain has small basins near the ground for your fur buddies to get a cool drink. We really loved our picnic in Troop Square. And even though Fox and Fig has nice seating outside and a nice dining room, even though it's small, we really enjoyed our picnic in Troop Square. And even though Fox and Fig has a nice dining room and outdoor dining, I suggest getting it to go because sitting under the canopy of trees in Troop Square and eating your picnic's a real treat. What to drink? I'll have another on Destination Eat Drink. Get the Destination Eat Drink podcast delivered to your phone or computer or tablet automatically. Just subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or RadioMisfits.com. I've also got links to every episode of the podcast at DestinationEatDrink.com. Just click on the podcast tab. The 18th Amendment to the Constitution made the production or sale of alcoholic beverages illegal. It became the law throughout the United States in 1919 and was repealed by the 21st Amendment in 1933. But prohibition came to Savannah long before that. James Oglethorpe was an idealist. When he founded the British colony, he prohibited liquor, although that didn't last very long. Later, the state of Georgia returned to its teetotaling roots and outlawed alcohol in 1909, a full 10 years before the 18th Amendment, but That didn't stop the flow of booze to Savannah. None other than the infamous Al Capone hired boats to bring rum from Cuba to Savannah, and moonshiners brewed their own hooch and stills. So many moonshiners and bootleggers operated out of the area. In fact, so many were there that Savannah became known as the bootleg spigot of the South. The Prohibition Museum is just off Ellis Square, and it bills itself as the only Prohibition Museum in the United States. Inside are artifacts from the era and one of the best cocktail bars in the South. A lot of places call themselves speakeasies these days, but really, if you're inside a Prohibition Museum with your bar, and your bartenders are dressed in authentic Roaring Twenties garb, I think you've got the right. That and the fact that the cocktails are era-specific and delicious really adds to the vibe for some reason people get very excited about cities with open container laws i'm looking at you new orleans i don't want to be a stick in the mud but i've never quite understood this because if i want to enjoy a cocktail out of doors i'll do it legality be damned i mean there are plenty of opaque water metal bottles out there and you can discreetly pour any beverage you like into them that said Savannah is one of those towns with an open container law, but that doesn't mean you can drink whatever or wherever you want in the city. The law stipulates that your bevy must be in a plastic cup, no greater than 16 ounces, and must be consumed within the historic district. That's River Street to Jones Street and Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard to West Broad Street. Now, despite my crankiness about open container laws, I must admit this local law does add to a party atmosphere in Savannah. And on no day is this more true than St. Patrick's Day. After New York City, Savannah has the largest St. Patrick's Day celebration in the country. We're talking almost half a million revelers packing the city to watch the three-and-a-half-hour parade and party hard. But if you're planning on checking out the green and shamrocked mass of humanity, make sure to make your reservations early. Hotels book up far, far in advance. Things to do and places to see. I don't know. What do you want to do on Destination Eat Drink? Have a question or a comment about Destination Eat Drink? Find me on Facebook or Instagram at Destination Eat Drink on Twitter at Eat Destination or click on the contact tab at DestinationEatDrink.com. Savannah's downtown is compact and very walkable. It's also laid out on a grid system, making it easy to navigate. A walking tour is a great way to see the city. The free walking tour from Free Savannah Tours is very good. But remember, a so-called free walking tour isn't free The guides subsist on gratuities alone, so don't forget to give them a tip. There's also a self-guided walking tour of the city. City Sidewalks has a good one. There's also a self-guided walking tour at GPS My City. But if you're going to use GPS My City, I'd suggest using the website rather than downloading the app. The app's a memory hog and crashes a lot. The most interesting tours are from Journeys by Faith, Karen B. Worthman takes visitors on tours of Savannah that focus on the slave trade and the struggles of the Savannah African-American community. There's links to all of these tours in the show notes. Horse-drawn carriage rides are very popular in Savannah, but these seemingly quaint jaunts through the city are controversial as well. Runaway horses and crashes have led people to call for the end of horse-drawn carriage rides in the city, citing the stress on the animals in a busy urban environment where they're forced to share the streets with lots and lots of cars, not to mention the loud noises that easily spook the horses. I'm not going to tell you not to take a horse-drawn carriage ride. That's up to you. but. A trolley tour seems like a less cruel way to see Savannah and Old Town Trolley Tours offers a hop on, hop off one day trolley tour for just over 30 bucks. They also have ghost trolley tours. One of the most interesting features of Savannah is the square in each neighborhood. Twenty-four squares were originally built, but only 22 survive. The squares are rather small, but they serve as an urban oasis with their canopies of trees and fountains. The squares also often have memorials and statues. Savannah is hot and muggy, especially in the summer, so everyone appreciates the benches and the squares where they can cool off in the shade. Savannah Visitors has done a great job of mapping out a self-guided all-day walking tour of all 22 squares, plus Forsyth Park and several other attractions in the city. And speaking of Forsyth Park, it's a beautiful 30-acre park, much bigger than the squares in Savannah. And it was built when the city was expanding And plans for more squares was abandoned. The centerpiece of the park is the fountain, one of the best places to get an Instagram photo. The fountain's water is dyed green every St. Patrick's Day. To complete a walking tour of all 22 squares would take an entire day. So here's a few of my favorite squares in Savannah and, of course, include Forsyth Park, even though it's not technically a square. Chippewa Square is home to the statue of James Oglethorpe, and it also has a famous replica of a bench, the Forrest Gump Bench. Uh, Even though most of Forrest Gump was shot in nearby Beaufort, South Carolina, the opening scene, where Forrest is sitting on a bench and compares life to a box of chocolates, that was shot in Savannah at Chippewa Square. There is a bench sitting there. It's not the original, it's a replica. The original bench is in the Savannah History Museum. Wright Square has a memorial to Chief Tamachichi. He was the chief of the Native people when James Oglethorpe and his British colonists arrived in Savannah. And Chief Tamachichi was responsible for a peace between the settlers and the Native Americans that lasted for several years after the landing of Oglethorpe. Johnson Square is the oldest and largest of Savannah squares and the burial and memorial site of Revolutionary General Nathaniel Greene. Meanwhile, Ellis Square was the site of a slave market in Savannah. Now it's home of a touristy shopping and dining center and is close to the Prohibition Museum. One of my favorite squares is Franklin Square. It was destroyed in the 1930s when the highway was moved, but it was rebuilt in the 80s, and it's home to a fascinating statue, the Memorial to the Haitian Volunteers of the Revolutionary War. They fought alongside the French and the American patriots against the British. Back in 1773, war was brewing with the British, and the slave trade was thriving in Savannah. It's also the year that the Reverend George Lyle organized the Congregation of the First African Baptist Church. Lyle was a slave, but he was freed prior to the Revolution and fled to Jamaica with the British to avoid being re-enslaved. He became a missionary in Jamaica. But back in Savannah. The Reverend Andrew C. Marshall obtained the land where the church stands. It's right across from Franklin Square. The sanctuary was built in 1859, before the Civil War, and the Underground Railroad ran through Savannah. The first African Baptist church was one of those waypoints on the Underground Railroad. Escaped slaves hid under the floorboards. Holes were drilled in the floor to provide air to those people, but they were done in a strategic manner. Imagine if people looking for slaves came into the church and saw holes drilled in the floor, they might get suspicious. So the ingenious folks at the African Baptist Church drilled holes in a pattern to resemble tribal symbols and avoid suspicion and detection. Ingenious. There's a museum in the church. It has an incredible array of artifacts dating all the way back to the origin of the church in 1773. You can tour the church Tuesday through Sunday for 10 bucks. A short walk from the church is the African American monument. The sculpture depicts a family with chains of bondage at their feet, but even more moving is the monument's inscription by none other than Maya Angelou. It reads, We were stolen, sold, and bought together from the African continent. We got on the slave ships together. We laid back to belly in the holds of the slave ships in each other's excrement and urine together. Sometimes we died together and our lifeless bodies thrown overboard together. Today we are standing up together with faith and even some joy. Very moving. I'm a big advocate of reading local literature and watching films that are set in the locations I'm planning to visit. Of course, Forrest Gump has that famous opening scene in Savannah, but the monumental piece of literature coming out of Savannah was Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. Called a nonfiction novel because it reads like a novel but is based on actual facts, Midnight mostly takes place in Savannah, and the 1997 Clint Eastwood-directed movie was shot here as well. The book and movie capture the unique characters that populate Savannah and rightly show off the beauty of the city and her architecture. Many of the places described in the book and shown in the movie can be visited by fans. Two of the most famous are Forsyth Park and Bonaventure Cemetery. The Bonaventure Cemetery became famous for several scenes that were shot in Midnight that were set in the graveyard. But if you've ever seen the book Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, you've seen the bird girl statue. That sat in the Bonaventure Cemetery for decades, pretty much unnoticed and untouched. But the book came out, and the bird girl statue became famous worldwide. So they had to move her. She now resides in the Jepson Center in Savannah. Hardcore fans of Midnight and the Garden of Good and Evil can take a tour of some of the best sites by the Savannah Heritage Tours. The Savannah School of Design, or SCAD, is world famous for producing many artists and designers, and the school doesn't have a central campus in Savannah. Instead, buildings are scattered throughout the city, but SCAD does have a museum of art and hosts several cool events throughout the year, including a film festival, a sidewalk art festival, and the sand festival. For a great souvenir of your trip, Shop Scad has one-of-a-kind unique pieces of art made by students and faculty. Tips and inside information on Destination Eat Drink. I like nothing better than writing about the food and beverages from the places I visit around the world. But when I'm not doing that, I write fiction. Check out my foodie novel, Truffle Hunt and That Bird my collection of short stories, at DestinationEatDrink.com. Just click on the Contact and Books tab. Savannah is almost unbearably hot and muggy in the summer. Spring and fall are the best times to visit, but if you're locked into your kid's summer vacation schedule, then just make sure to plan indoor and outdoor activities during the day and to take rest and water breaks in Savannah's squares. Savannah is a very walkable city, so a car isn't necessarily needed in the city, but Savannah is a great place to explore other nearby cities. Charleston is an excellent place to go when you visit Savannah. It's just a three hour drive away, so if you're going to Charleston, you might want to get a car. I'll be doing an episode on Charleston sometime in the future. Myrtle Beach is only two hours north of Charleston, but I don't recommend visiting there. I call Myrtle Beach the redneck Disneyland. Lots of neon amusement park rides and mediocre food pass. But Hilton Head is just over the border from Savannah. It's in South Carolina, too. If you're a golfer, you'll want to stop there. My favorite road trip from Savannah, though, is Tybee Island. It's a quick day trip from Savannah, only 30-minute drive. And the beach is long and clean, but the no seums That's the name the locals give the swarms of tiny black gnats that are on the island. They're relentless. So wear sunscreen and especially bug repellent. The Tybee Island Light Station boasts a 145-foot-tall lighthouse and a museum. Admission is just $10, and the long climb to the top rewards you with a great view of the island and ocean. The best time to visit the lighthouse is for the sunrise tour as the sun comes up over the Atlantic, but they also offer a sunset tour if you can't get up that early. Photography buffs can score some great images. Crab Shacks, ice cream parlors, dive bars, they all litter Tybee Island. And if drunken karaoke or jello shots is your thing, you'll be in heaven. Huckapoo's is the best of the lot. They have giant pizzas and cold brew. And if it sounds like I'm down on Tybee Island, I'm not. It has a special kind of redneck Riviera charm that's best experienced with a local. Some guy who goes by the name of Tybee Guy has written an article outlining some of the best and funniest slang terms on the island. Gems like drunken bicycle. This is where a bicycle causes an accident because it was drunk. Not the driver, the bicycle was drunk. Or Mayberry by the Sea, which is the nickname locals have given to Tybee Island. Get into the action by dropping these terms into conversations while at The Pooh, That's the short name for huckapoos. But don't have too many drinks there, or A-W-A-F may be part of your story. That stands for alcohol was a factor. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of Destination Eat Drink. We drop a new episode each Friday. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Ed Silla and Radio Misfits Network. Big thanks to Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.